I ask that you would take out your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Hebrews. For the sake of our guests, we are jumping into, over the past few weeks, jumping into a a study of this letter, and we are excited for it. And uh, by the way, I was just noticing this stage over here. Um, You know, back in the uh, 17, 1800s, especially in England, but also in the States, they would erect um, stages like that for the preacher to go up and and preach, and I was thinking, uh, I don't think I want to preach from over there, so I'll I'll just stay where we are. But it, it is I'm not sure what that stage is for, but uh, I won't be preaching from it today. Um, when you go to the beach, in perhaps you know Ocean City or wherever it is that you go to the beach, um, well, when I go to the beach in Ocean City. There are lifeguards on the beach to watch over you and to presumably to protect you um, as you swim in the water. Uh, they put, you know, those flags, those green flags, where is the safe swim zone? And they, they designate that so as to keep you protected from the elements. They also don't want you to go out too far because you can get into danger out there. So when my family goes to the beach, we, we go every summer, um, and it's a, a big gathering. Cousins and aunts and uncles are there. And so we love to go out in the surf and, uh, you know, do some body surfing and bring footballs and just toss them around. We're, we're having a fun time, um, in the, in the ocean, but there's something that inevitably happens every single time. Um, and that is that we get whistled by the lifeguard repeatedly. If I had a dollar for every time I've been whistled by the lifeguard at, at the beach, I'd, I could at least buy a couple of you lunch today. It's been a lot of times. And, and why is that? Is that because I'm, I'm just wanting to be, get some attention? No, it's because there is a pull. You know this if you've been in the ocean. There's a, there's a pull to the current of the ocean. And, and we're swimming around, we're splashing, we're throwing footballs, we're riding the waves in. And, and without paying attention to it, though we started like over here between the flags, you know, inevitably we always end up over there, which makes the guard, you know, blow his whistle and say, and draw attention to us all and say, get over back in the zone. It's, it's, it's just interesting when you think about it. And, and one, one year in particular, I remembered, um, we were out there doing our thing and there was this one kid, I don't know, 17 or something like that. And he was swimming out. And, uh, I, I remember thinking like, I hope that dude knows what he's doing. Um, and sure enough, the lifeguards were blowing on their, their whistles and either he didn't care or he couldn't hear them. I'm not sure which, but he kept rolling. Um, and soon, uh, he was in distress. And so the lifeguards blew their whistles, got everyone out of the water, and they had to go in and save that kid because he was in distress. I don't know the details. I just know we had to get out of the water, and those lifeguards jumped into action. Because though he thought he was fine, evidently he wasn't fine, and the paramedics had to come, and it was, it was quite an ordeal. There's a pull. That sometimes we don't see that's not just in the ocean. There's a pull that we don't sometimes realize is going on on our hearts. And, and what the author of Hebrews this morning is trying to get us to see is to pay attention to the pull that happens 
often unbeknownst to us. It often goes like, like we experience in that water. We're just like kind of floating over there. We don't even realize it. There's, there's a pull that happens in the Christian life. There's, there's a, a drift that happens and, and you know, Anytime there's a drift in the spiritual life, it's away from Christ. It's not toward Christ. Nobody drifts toward Christ. If we drift, we're drifting away from Christ. And I use that opening illustration to, to be perhaps an experience like these dear people, the Hebrew Christians, they are experiencing. Because the, the wind and the waves of trials and pure persecutions, the, the tug of the world is having its effect on their heart. Maybe, perhaps, they don't realize it, but the writer of Hebrews sees it happening, and with a pastoral heart, he writes this letter to say, hey, watch for the drift. You are actually drifting away from Christ. Maybe they didn't realize it. Maybe they couldn't quite perceive it. But he is calling them out of great love. In fact, God is the author of this letter. God is calling them to pay attention, much closer attention, because they're at danger of drifting away from Christ, of losing their moorings, if you will, uh, grounded in Christ. They're drifting out to the ocean into dangerous water. And so without you know, pressing the illustration too far. What we're about to read this morning is kind of like the lifeguard's whistle saying, hey, wake up, pay attention, lest you drift far away from Christ. And and rather than, I just want to encourage us, rather than receive this as some kind of hard word, this is this is like the most loving thing that God could do for us. Because, you know, let's go back to the lifeguard. Is it, is it an angry thing or is it a bad thing to have a lifeguard on the beach to watch out for you and watch over you and make sure you don't go into dangerous terror? Is that a bad thing? No. In fact, the lifeguard's whistle is a grace to us so that we can wake up and realize we're, we're out of the zone of safety. Well, think about this in that way. That, that God is, is blowing his whistle and saying, hey, hey, be careful. Watch your life. Watch your doctrine. Watch what you're doing because you're, you're in danger. And, and if we're in spiritual danger, I'll say this. If, if we're in spiritual danger and we hear the whistle of God and we're like, ah, we're fine, that is really dangerous. It's really dangerous. We don't want to be in that position. That's where these dear people found themselves. And perhaps a number of us, myself included, can be, can be in need of a warning to watch our lives very, very closely. So with that as a backdrop, we're just going to jump into the passage. It's just four short verses. Hebrews chapter 2. If you don't have your Bible open, please do take it open. If it's your phone or whatever, get your Bible on in front of you. And I want you to hear these words from the Lord himself. Hebrews 2 verses 1 through 4. This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape 
if we neglect such a great salvation. It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Father, we pray that in these minutes that we have together this morning, that you would tune our hearts to your grace. Lord, we, we gladly submit our hearts now to the eternal Word of God. And we pray, Lord, speak to us. We want to hear you this morning. So guard my words and by your Spirit, speak to us so that we can hear, appropriately hear the warning that you have not just for those dear people back in the day when this was written, but for us too. You've preserved this word for us, so help us to have ears to hear and hearts to receive, because this is the greatest blessing that you could give to us. A word of warning is a great blessing, and so help us to hear this. We pray together in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So what we're going to do is I'm going to take a few minutes and just kind of survey the text, what it's talking about, and then we'll move toward a few points of application. What does this mean for us in our day-to-day living? Why does this matter? Why does this warning matter? So a quick survey of the text. In order to survey the text, because of the very first word in the very first verse, he says, therefore, so whenever you see the therefore, you got to wonder what it's there for. He just got finished in chapter 1 extolling the glories of Christ. The author is, again, what, what these people need is not for all their problems to go away. In fact, it's the very same for us. What we need this morning is not for all of our problems to just magically go away. No, what we need and what they needed was a clear picture of Christ, of who He is, of His glory, of His promise toward us, of His ability to carry us through the challenges and the waters of life. That's what we need. They had, they had lost sight of who Christ was. And so chapter 1 of Hebrews is him trying to put their glasses back on. It's like him taking their glasses off and he's like, hey, let me help you for a minute. Let me clear your glasses. Now, put your glasses back on. This is who you are following. You are following the Lord Christ. And so he goes and he says, let me just read a few of the descriptions. He says, who is Christ? Christ is the Son of God and the heir of all things. Verse 2, chapter 1. He's the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. Verse 3. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. Verse 3. He upholds all things, all things like your trials, your challenges, your joys. He upholds all things by the word of His power. Verse 3, he makes purification for sins. He is the ultimate sacrifice. And his sacrifice was complete such that he sat down. His work was completed. The work was over. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. His work was finished. His sacrifice complete. He has a far superior glory to any created being, including the angels. In fact, the angels, he is the object of the angels' worship. 
So, so what he's doing here is in chapter one saying, let, let me clear your glasses. You've, perhaps you've lost sight of who Christ is. This is who he is. He is glorious. He is good. He is God. And when you hold fast to Christ, you are holding fast to God. That's why he says in verse one of chapter two, therefore, with all of chapter one in your, in your pocket, like, that's right. This is who God is. He's, he's, All those things that I just described. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. The reality of our lives spiritually is we all can drift, right? We all know what it's like to drift. There are times when we we can feel a closeness to God. There are times when perhaps because of sins or circumstances or other things we we can just feel a bit more distant from him we know what it's like to drift in fact perhaps if you've been around in the christian faith for some time you've maybe seen this in other people people who once declared their passion for god that they were they were going to live for god and they they had real passion behind it but over the years and over through challenging circumstances that that passion that once burned white hot is now no longer there. Perhaps they've given up fellowship with believers. They don't bother or have no joy in the Word of God. Maybe they're no longer attending church because it no longer has a deep meaning for them. And, and they once were burning hot for God, but now it would appear They've drifted away. And those people, in fact, are in great danger. That's what the Word says. So there's always this reason to heed the Word of God. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. So what what have we heard? We've heard the gospel. That's what he's referring to, the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. He goes on to make an argument from the lesser to the greater. Um, he, he says it this way, For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. Let me pause there. What is this message that was received, excuse me, declared by the angels? The, the message uh, declared by the angels was the Old Testament law. That's what he's referring to here, the Old Testament law. Um, there are a number of passages, one in Galatians, another one in Acts, Acts chapter 7 in particular, where Stephen is preaching a rousing sermon right before he gets stoned. Um, he, he's about to uh, encounter this incredible tribulation when, when people pick up stones and, and throw them at him. He's preaching to the people there to, to seek to help them to repent of their sins. And, and he declares in verse 53, I, I won't read it right now, but he declares that the message was declared to Moses on Mount Sinai. It was mediated through angels. It was God's message, but it came to us mediated by angels. This was the Ten Commandments that Moses received on, on the Mount of Sinai. Now, what is he, what is he saying here? That, that message, the law, the law of God that was received by 
by Moses and then brought to the people of God, what was that law? Well, this was, how does it describe? It it, it proved to be reliable. So the Old Testament law is reliable. It is a, a trustworthy word. The law communicated something to us. What did it, what did the law, what did the Old Testament law communicate to us? It communicated to us that God was holy. That we don't just live however, you know, our, our own heart might say, but, but these are the ways that God commands us to live because He's holy and we're created in His image and we're to reflect Him. The challenge with the Old Testament law, though, was that it quickly became apparent that we couldn't live up to the law. That we're sinners all and, and we couldn't actually enact all of the law. We couldn't do it. And in fact, that was its intent. The Old Testament law wasn't the bringer of salvation. It was a law to reveal to us our need for salvation. Salvation would come through another, through Christ, as you know, through the New Testament. So the Old Testament law was, was mediated by angels. It was, it was reflecting the holiness of God. Um, but he's saying this in verse 2. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression and disobedience received just retribution. In other words, if you sinned against the Lord in the Old Testament times, there was just retribution for those acts of disobedience. So he's comparing, saying, hey, the law was given. It was reliable. It was trustworthy. It reflected the glory of God. But what it came to do was help us see our need for a savior. And that's why this second word, remember what chapter one says in the, in the old times, God has spoken to us by the prophets, but now he has spoken to us by his son. He's exalting what the son came to bring, which is the grace of God. That's what he came to bring. He came to bring salvation for all people who realized that they couldn't keep the law of God. That's why what Christ brings is such a better covenant. That's part of the theme of Hebrews. It talks about a better covenant, a, a better high priest that Jesus is. He's, he's more faithful than Melchizedek. He's, he's passed through the heavens. He is, he is a faithful high priest. And so all throughout this book, the, the author is comparing and contrasting the Old Testament, which was God's work in that time, but now what we've received is so much better. He said, For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? In other words, this new salvation now that's come through Jesus, this message of the gospel that we've heard, we've heard it, he said, how will we escape retribution? How will, we, how will we escape judgment, God's judgment, if we neglect it? If we say to God, hey, you know, thanks for sending Christ. I really do appreciate that. Thank you very much. And walk on our way. How are we going to escape judgment if we neglect such a glorious gift as our salvation? Do you see, that's what he's driving at you. We, we, we will not escape judgment if we neglect this great salvation. That's what he calls it, verse 3. Neglect such a great salvation. 
This, this gospel that, that God has declared over us is very simply this, just like the law revealed. We are sinners all. None of us um, meet the standard of God. We all miss the mark. We're not like God. Our sins have, have, have soiled us before the Lord. They have tarnished His image. And we, we are guilty before God, but God in His great mercy sent Jesus Christ into the world as the great substitute. I have to ask you, who loves like that in our world? Who, who does that? God came as our substitute. He, he, he took my sins and he, I, should, I should be on the cross hanging there paying for my sins. But, but God substituted himself for me that, that by faith in Christ, my sins and, and everyone who believes would be forgiven. Who loves like that? And that's what he's saying. How, how can we escape if we, if we neglect that great news? And he's not just talking, by the way, to those who reject it, to unbelievers. He, he's also talking, this is a church. Chapter 6, we'll see there, there are folks who, at one time, they, they, they enjoyed certain things about the Lord, but, but there was a, a drifting away, a serious drifting away. And so he's, he's issuing this warning with great love. Again, this is, this is, let me use another analogy. This would be like... Um, if you if you had children and you had very young children and and you lived on a busy street and and your yard was down by the busy street and you didn't have the money to put up a fence but this was the only place for your kids to play so maybe you put up cones or something and you said hey you guys can play here but you cannot go beyond these cones you cannot uh, if the ball runs in the street let it get squished by a car you cannot go beyond these cones why why would you do that because you love your kids. Because you don't want them to perish. So that would be a loving act to say, here's the line, don't cross it. This is what God's doing for us. He's saying, don't drift from Christ. If you drift from Christ, you're endangering your soul. And so that, so it's the greatest loving thing that he could do, just like it would be the greatest loving thing for a parent to do to provide that protection for us. So that's the essence of the text. Verse 4 simply says, you know, God also bore witness to this gospel through gifts and, and miracles, and, and God just, you know, poured forth his grace so that people could say, wow, God is in this place. God is here among us. So it was, it was attested to by those who heard, he says, and that those who proclaimed it, and then God, uh, he didn't need to do this, but he gave gifts and miracles to, to attest to the truthfulness of this gospel. So it's, it's like super plain. It's very clear that this is authentic and that this is true. So let me move now. Uh, that's a view of the text. Let me move now to uh, some points of application for us in our day-to-day lives. Um, first, there, there's so much here. Um, I'm not going to say a third of what I wrote. Um, but, but number one, I, I think this is the most important. Recognize the reality and danger of spiritual drift. That's what we have to do. We, we need to pay much closer attention to what we've heard so that we don't drift, which means that we have to recognize the reality and danger of spiritual drift. And that means all of us. 
That, that, that means pastors included. That means we all have to, to recognize that there is drift in our hearts. Um, what are we saying? Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Uh, prone to leave the God I love. There is, there is this proclivity at times in our hearts still to drift from the Lord. So we need to recognize that and take account for that and to pay attention to that. There are a few ways in particular, I think, that this can affect us. Uh, people who live in this community in 2024, um, one of the ways I think we are tempted to not recognize the reality and the danger of the drift is our familiarity with the truth. Hear this, brothers and sisters. I, I think it's a danger for us to become so familiar with the glorious truth of the gospel that we can take it for granted. That we can say, yeah, yeah, I know that. That's, you know, I, I believe the gospel. That was 20 years ago. It was good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad for that. But, you know, I've moved on. I, I, you know, take that kind of in stride. No, no, the glory of the gospel, it, it must not become so familiar that it becomes boring to us. Um, one of the guys that I was reading this week, his name is Kent Hughes, he illustrated it this way. Imagine that you're going to London uh, for the first time. You've never been there and you've wanted to see this. And so you're, you're going to London. You get on a big red double-decker bus. bus you, you drive around. You see the glories of Buckingham Palace. You're, you're overwhelmed by Big Ben as you see Big Ben, the glorious parliament building. Your, your mouth is just on the floor because you're in awe of the grandeur and the beauty of, of Britain, uh, London particularly. And that's great. But what about your 20th visit there? Are you going to still be so overwhelmed by what you're seeing and perceiving? What if you actually happen to move there and live there? Do you think that right now in, in London, England, people are driving on the beltway just like, I can't believe I live here? No, they're like yawning because they've seen it all. Do you get, you see the point? When we become so familiar with something, uh, what does the phrase say? Uh, familiarity breeds contempt, right? This can be true of us, church. It can be true of me. That we be, when we become so familiar with some of the glorious truths of the gospel that they're no longer glorious to us and, and quite frankly, we can yawn at them. And this message is saying, no, no. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Not a time for yawning, not a time for drifting, a time to celebrate and enjoy the greatest message in the entire world. There is no message that is greater than the gospel of Christ and his salvation that he offers to all. And yet I think it's a temptation for us. I know it's for me. It's a temptation for us to become so familiar with this that it, it just kind of passes below the radar. And we can slowly and subtly drift away from the glory of this gospel. And, and over time, dear friends, if we, if we allow that drift in our hearts, and I think we all know what I'm talking about, if we allow that drift in our hearts, then we are in very dangerous territory. We've got to protect it. We've got to pay attention to it. 
And, and, and I'll get to what, what does that look like in a few moments. But, but that, I think, is one of our, as a church, in 2024, people just like me and you, I think that's one of our great dangers, just to become so familiar with it that it's no longer amazing to us. It's no longer the thing that we celebrate. And, and you know, if we're a believer and if the glorious truths of the gospel has kind of drifted away from having that first place in our heart, then something else, here's what's happened. Something else has come in to displace that truth. We, we find more excitement and more joy in something else. Uh, because our hearts are always craving something and we, we always attach our hearts to something. Right. If it's no longer on the glories of the gospel, if that's kind of it might still be there, but it but it's kind of drifted away. Well, well, then that means we've we've caught on to something else. Something else has displaced the glory of Christ in our hearts. And and we're, we're going after that. Maybe we haven't let go of the gospel, but 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 we've got this and this is what really motivates us. And so I just want to be faithful to ask us this morning, dear church, like what? What are you listening to? What, what am I, what am I being driven by in my life? What are you being driven by in your life? What, what makes you get up tomorrow morning and do the things that you do? Is it the glory of God and the love for His gospel? Is it that we're, we're on mission for Christ and all that we do is for His glory or you know, it's not wrong to go to work to pay the bills. I'm not suggesting that, but I'm saying what really motivates you? What was motivating these dear people was they were tired of persecution. And for them to go back to the Old Testament law, which again, it didn't provide salvation. It pointed to salvation, but it didn't provide salvation. Because of the persecution they were experiencing, they were ready to let it go. And he's saying, no, 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 don't drift from the glorious gospel. So that was their temptation. I'm asking you to consider in your heart this morning, is there any place in your heart where there might be that drift away from the gospel and you're, you're catching on to this? Like, you know, man, I really want to build my retirement fund and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not serve the church or not serve people because I'm going to work extra because I want to build my retirement fund or, or I just want to give myself to this hobby or I want to give myself to this sports team or I'm going to, and I'm, I'm not going to, you know, read the Bible as much as devote myself to this. There can be pockets of this in all of us. And, and this is, again, I trust you hear it. This is the greatest loving act that God can do. To help us to truly consider, Lord, is there drift in my heart? Is there drift in my heart? Did I once, did I once get really excited about Jesus Christ? When I came to him, when, when I, I realized that I was a sinner in need of a savior, I was excited for Christ and I was telling other people about Christ. And, and as I honestly evaluate my life, Lord, where, have I drifted? Am I yawning at things that used to get me very excited? So, dear friends, I think this is one of the ways that we can drift the familiar with the familiarity with truth. A, a second and close cousin to that is um, perhaps some area of unrepented sin. Maybe a, a heart that, because of your circumstances, has has become bitter to the Lord. A heart that has said, Lord, 
I've been following you. And these hard things are happening in my life. I I, I don't deserve this. In fact, Lord, I, I thought you would treat me a little bit better than this. That's a bitter heart. And there are times in my life where I have had to confess to the Lord, Lord, I think my heart is bitter. Forgive me. I repent of that. Remind me of the gospel because that's the antidote to bitterness, right? We'll get to that in a few minutes. But, you know, consider that. Some form of unrepented sin. Maybe, maybe it's not bitterness. It could be an envying of someone else in their position in life. Maybe their situation. Like, oh boy, I really want what they have. Maybe it's a comparison to someone else's gifts or someone else's husband or wife or um, just a comparison that, that you're just jealous. These things can crop up so easily in our hearts. And if they're not attended to by the Spirit of God, they can cause us to drift away. A lustful heart that preoccupies itself with, with things that are not right for you. And it's not even that we necessarily want these things, dear church, right? Because we know that, that all of those things are sin, and yet, and yet we haven't taken at times the steps to repent. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we say, Lord, I, I've been dealing with, with this for a long time, and I think we just have an understanding here. This is going to be a temptation for me. And, and we endure it, and we just kind of go along with it. And I just want to say, where the Lord brings a call to repent in your heart, I want to encourage you to embrace that as his kindness to you, right? His real, genuine kindness to you. Because think about this. When has sin ever delivered on its promise, right? Sin lures the temptation of, hey, come and do this. Come think this way. And, and if you do, I'll give you satisfaction. When has sin ever delivered on its promise? It never does. Oh, there might be temporary pleasure, but sin never delivers on its promise. So when God calls us to repent of sin, he's actually calling us to a far superior pleasure himself. To leave the inferior pleasure behind and go to the superior pleasure, which is Christ, who will always, always satisfy us. So, uh, for this first point, I simply want to ask you, where might your heart be tempted to drift? And let's be honest before the Lord. Lord, here's, here's where my heart is tempted. Lord, would you help me? Would you awaken me to this? Lord, if, if I'm not seeing this very clearly and you want to do more work, Lord, open my eyes to see. Are you willing to ask that question? Open my eyes to see more clearly so that I cannot drift away from you anymore. I want to be with you, Lord. I don't want to drift away. Open my eyes, Lord. Do you know what? If you can pray that prayer, the Lord will do that. He will help you to be able to see. And then what happens next is, here's the next second and final question. How can we move once again toward Christ? So, so first of all, we've got to be aware of the drift for all of us. It's a danger for all of us. Secondly, how do we move once again toward Christ? Now, another way of saying that is, how do we stop the drift? If we recognize, wow, there is spiritual drift in my life, how do we stop the drift? How do we move 
toward Christ once again? Well, we do that by remembering our great salvation daily. God the Son, the creator and sustainer of all things, stepped into the world to take the punishment that, that we deserve so that he could absorb it for us. He absorbed the wrath of God, the just re- retribution of God. He took it for us. And if we celebrate that every day, you know what happens? Our heart is tenderized. The Holy Spirit uses that celebration to awaken us to the joy of following him in real ways. And and again, here's where I would say, dear friends, this is such a great, the antidote to drift is standing in awe of the love of God. Piper says it this way, we will never stand in awe of being loved by God until we reckon with the seriousness of our sin and the justice of his wrath against us. Let me, let me read that again. We will never stand in awe of being loved by God until we reckon with the seriousness of our sin and the justice of his wrath against us. What he's saying is uh, the rehearsal in our hearts and minds of what we deserve and what we've been given. We talk about this often, but this is why. Because if I wake up in the morning and I say, Lord, thank you for your mercy to me today. What I deserve is your judgment. What you have poured out on me repeatedly is your grace. If we wake up tomorrow morning saying those kinds of things, it will transform our day. Truly it does. I'm not saying everything will be perfect. I am saying that if we have a mindset of the grace of God pervading our mind and informing our decisions, we're like... You know, like the friend that I passed the other day, not too long ago. I asked him, how are you doing? Nobody that goes to church here. But how are you doing? He said to me, better than I deserve. You've heard that before, right? That's a gospel mindset. Because he's saying, I deserve judgment. And what I'm given is grace. So how do we stop the drift in our hearts? Well, we celebrate the gospel. We remember the gospel. We 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 push ourselves away from the inferior pleasure of this world that will never satisfy, and we remind ourselves of the great treasure of Jesus Christ. I think it comes, too, by cherishing Christ and his word. Now, let me, again, speak to us. There are times in our Christian lives when reading the word of God every single time isn't always the most exciting thing we're ever doing. Right? There are times when the, the, the living, active, breathing Word of God just leaps off the page in our hearts and, and we're devouring it and praise God for those times. And, um, you know, we, let's just continue to pray that God would make that a reality. But there are times when the reading of God's Word can, we can have seasons where it, it, it doesn't quite hit our hearts in the same way. And, and so I think what we can do to cherish the Word of God is to pray things like, Lord, Lord, I have a stony heart today. The word that you've given to me, it's just not hitting my heart today. Would you awaken me this morning to the glories of this word? Would you, would you awaken my spirit? I, I seem to be dull. I, I, I'm, I, I'm not walking in any known sin. Lord, I've, I've forsaken those things. I'm repenting of those things. And just awaken in me a love for your word. You know what? When you pray those things, God does that. 
Because that's his desire that, that we all would be walking in joy and fellowship of the word of God. And, and, and then again, by embracing repentance. Um, because this is such a great gift to us. So, you know, I, I'm praying first for my own heart and, and for the hearts of everyone here that, that when we think about how in our hearts and in our lives we might be adrift from paying attention to the things that, that it, the thing that is most important, the gospel, that when we consider our hearts and when we come back, you know, there may be things that we need to just repent of afresh. Maybe, maybe even it's something that you've repented of before, but it's crept back into your heart. And you say, Lord, this isn't right. And so, dear friends, here's how we should, I think, view this again. God is issuing such a graceful invitation because he wants to pull you away from that which does not satisfy and, and pull you toward that which eternally does. C.S. Lewis um, has a way with words, doesn't he? And when he's talking about this grace of the invitation of God, he says it this way. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I think what he's saying is that when God offers himself to us, even calls us to repentance, what he's saying is, hey, leave the mud pies in the alley. What I'm inviting you to is vacation at the sea. It's, it's glory over here. You're, you're content with the mud pies in the alley with playing with that sin. Leave it behind and come with me on this holiday at the sea. And if we can view repentance that way, I think that's the biblical way to view it. Lord, you're, you're, you're calling me away from something that will never deliver on its promise to someone who always delivers his promise. So let me, let me ask the band to join me on the stage as I want to bring us to a close. The urgency of this passage is that we dare not neglect this great gospel. We dare not neglect this great gospel because when we neglect this great gospel, we put ourselves in spiritual danger. And, and like those lifeguards on the beach who when they see us drifting out too far and, and blow that whistle and get into action to come out and, and rescue, this is God's rescuing call. This is God's whistle blowing this morning for us to say, hey, don't drift from Christ. Don't allow the familiarity with truth to be something that is yawned at. Ask the Lord to awaken our hearts to the glory of his gospel that, that he would save someone like me amazes me. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation. So this, dear friends, this is a glorious, loving warning to you, an encouragement to you 
to evaluate your heart. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. The Lord is inviting you to put down the mud pies, to lift your gaze, and to come along with him to the one who will never dissatisfy. And where there might be pockets of drift in our hearts, let us now come and be honest with God and say, Lord, you know my heart. I'm not going to try and play any games here. You know the things that motivate me and occupy first place in my heart. And this morning, if, if you would say, yeah, the Lord is first place in my heart, I say, amen, hallelujah, may it happen all the more. May you be strengthened all the more. But if there's some of us in this room who could say, you know, I, I realize that there is some drift in my soul. That that which once burned hot in my heart for the Lord, it's, it's not burning quite the same way. And I want to get back there. The Lord is here to minister to you this morning. The Lord is here to remind you of the gospel. That, that you could never earn your place in his kingdom, but by faith you've come into his kingdom. And now he wants to pour out his grace upon you so that you and I together can savor and cherish this Lord once again afresh. So the song that we're going to sing is just this invitation to joy. It's an invitation to come and, and be reminded of the grace of the Lord. And, and I just want to say again, I said it last week, but if, if, if you just want to pray and do business with the Lord, perhaps even there, there's a confession of sin that you want to make before the Lord, and, and it's helpful to do that down front, I, I just want to invite you to come. You know, the Lord is here. He's, he's ready to minister to you. You don't have to leave your seat in order for that to happen, but sometimes it's, it's helpful to do that. And so if you want to just rejoice, if you want to pray, come on down. If you see someone coming down and you know them, why don't you come down and pray with them, rejoice with them, because the Lord is here to minister to us. Let me read Lewis one more time. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy, infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. That's what Christ's inviting us to this morning. Let us let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this word which acts as a warning to our souls and we receive it as a, a great love from you. Lord, you, you care for us so much that you don't want us to wander away from Christ. And so you issue this warning for us to take stock of our hearts and our lives. Not because you're angry at us, but because you want to give us a holiday at the sea. Help us to turn in any way in our hearts, Lord, from that which could never satisfy us to him who always satisfies. Lord, help us not to hold back. Help us to run toward you and throw ourselves on the mercy of Christ. We thank you for this grace that you give to us. May we now run to you together as we stand and sing 
and respond to this word. We pray this together in Christ's name. Amen.